Hear the word of the Lord. We have a few selections today. So starting in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And a little further down, verses 21 through 24. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And the second reading is from the Gospel of John, again chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is the word of the Lord. There's a joke that goes, a new pastor was visiting the homes in his parish and at one particular house the lights were on and he knocked on the door, fully expecting an answer, but no one came despite his repeated knockings. So eventually he reached into his jacket, took out his business card and jotted Revelation 3.20 on the back, popped it through the letterbox. Well, he was surprised then to find on Sundays they were taking the collection and uh, going through it, counting it up afterwards, to find that same business card, Revelation 3.20, there amongst the coins, with a cryptic Genesis 3.10 scribbled underneath. And looking up uh, the passage in question, as we've just heard read, well, Revelation 3.20 begins like this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
But when we read that, that verse in context, as we've just heard, it's deeply tragic. This verse is the first time in the story of God's jaw-dropping, beautiful, good creation. With human beings, it's pinnacle that there's any distance between God and humankind. These few verses set the Bible on its downward spiral of death and violence and deceit. And that verse used the comedic effect in the joke. It's actually deeply sad. There's this myth, I've heard it from a few friends, a popular line um, often espoused by um, atheists or agnostics, who say, you know, as scientific individuals, they'd be perfectly open to the evidence, you know, if God were to provide it, whether, you know, God encountered them in this life or the next. Of course, they'd believe. But please don't waste their time so until then, you know, let God do that. And these passages squarely confront that philosophy. These passages say that it's not our default to accept God if he were to come close. Adam and Eve had the best chance of all of us to walk with God, to enjoy God, and yet they ran away and hid. And the verse we heard from John sort of extrapolates that to all humanity. This is the verdict. People loved Darkness instead of light, because their deeds, because our deeds were evil. So to those scientific friends, if they were to concede there's a God, what good is merely believing? Even the demons believe in God and shudder when they hear his name. Even as we seek refuge in the shadows, we might very well acknowledge the light, the presence of the light, uncomfortable as it is. But our question this morning is, when God draws close, will we hide or seek? When God draws near, will we, like Adam and Eve, run and hide away? Or will we seek him? I'm taking that as we look at Genesis 3 together this morning, its historicity, though important, isn't the most important thing. That even if it is just a story of how sin came into the world, it's still a very useful one, full of wisdom and insight for us today. That said, Jesus and the New Testament assume its validity, assume its accuracy. So I'm happy to work with that for now. So let's have a look at the story. The first section of our talk this morning is, when God draws close, will we hide? As God draws near to us this morning, are we hiding behind our outfit, our smile, or our protestations to others and even God himself? No, really, I'm fine. Well, let's read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Already the passage raises so many questions for us. Where's the serpent come from? Why is he so crafty? Why has God allowed him into the garden if it's perfect and if he knows it's going to tempt Adam and Eve? We could look at his strategy, how he questions God's word and then misquotes him. But we're going to try and stay focused on our question of whether we'll hide or seek. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you'll die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. From what we read later in the chapter, that's actually correct. Um, that they will become like God. We see that later on. God says they've become like us. The serpent has used that nugget of truth to kind of entice them to this bigger lie that they won't die. But in fact, in reaching out and eating of that fruit, rebelling and sinning, they're then cast out of the garden and the way to the tree of life is cut off from them. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And this is such an indictment for Adam, isn't it? Until now, he's not been mentioned. We might have thought it was just Eve being deceived. But no, he's right there with her. He's not, as we might have hoped, innocently pruning the azaleas somewhere else. He's there. He's been with her, silent, all along. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. It's like they were sort of, they had kind of been fine as if they were fully dressed beforehand but then like their jacket being removed they find themselves without a jacket I see if, you know, a few of you uh, enjoying nice jackets this morning they find themselves without a jacket naked in the garden so they find some fig leaves here are some I, uh, I picked Maybe they come bigger, but these, you know, they look pretty sort of good for coverings, um, quite kind of leafy and, and full. They sew these fig leaves together and make coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid, so I hid. That's what shame does. Adam and Eve have deliberately disobeyed God. Their eyes have been opened, so they hide. They hide because they're ashamed. They're ashamed of their actions, ashamed of their disobedience, ashamed of their nakedness. The previous chapter concluded with this wonderful line. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. What a thought. No, no shame. And now they've disobeyed God's one commandment. And they're not sure what's going to happen when God finds out. It's probably not going to be good. So they hide away. Now, obviously, naked you know, refers to their physical appearance, but I think far more than that, you know, it speaks of their openness, their vulnerability, their transparency with each other and with God. They had nothing they needed to hide and no reason to jump behind the bush and, and hide from, from God. But now sin has entered the garden. I've heard it said that sin stands for shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rule. And it's a bit clunky, but that's exactly what they've done. They said, leave us, leave us alone. We're going to do it our way. 
Genesis 2.16, God said, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. But the serpent comes in, tempts them, entices them, arouses their curiosity. Will the fruit of this tree really kill us? But it looks so good. Wisdom's a, a good thing, surely. I bet it's delicious. Their eyes are opened and in a sudden need to cover their nakedness, they grab some fig leaves and sew them together. And when they hear the Lord, they run and hide. Perhaps it reminds you of you know, when you were a kid and you knew you'd done something naughty, you'd found something and eaten it or done something to your brother or sister. And something inside you compels you to run and um, hide and try not to be found. I don't think it changes actually as we get older. It just perhaps sometimes becomes a bit more complex. It's the same when we uh, treat friends or family badly. A distance just is created. And we have to be intentional about forgiving and being reconciled. So Adam finds himself naked uh, with these coverings, wonders what to do. Perhaps he does a quick pros and cons of hiding. Thinks, okay, I've, I've disobeyed God, what do I do now? Maybe he gets out an Excel spreadsheet, pros, cons. Pros, God won't find out that I've disobeyed him. It's, it's a great plan. Pros, even if God does find out somehow, that I've disobeyed. He won't be able to find me. He can't punish me if, if I've hidden. Cons. Nah, can't really think of any cons at this stage. Eve, quick, let's go and hide. I think deep down, we're the same. We know that to some extent, we're not living the life the way God would have us live. We're mean selfish, anxious, self-centered. So we hide. We hide from God. That way he won't know what we've done or even if he does, he won't be able to punish us. But that's completely absurd, isn't it? This is God we're talking about. He knows our hearts, our minds. Even if we hide ourselves away, we take a fig leaf and perhaps withdraw from coming to church. Or if in our shame we we distance ourselves from our family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We take these fig leaves, we sew them together. Well, God still knows our hearts and our thoughts. He knows where we are. But notice how he responds to us, to Adam and Eve. He doesn't kind of reach behind the bush and grab them out into the light and say, what are you doing? I told you not to eat from that tree. He walks in the garden and looks for them. Where, where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? He invites them to come out. He invites them to confess, to willingly come into the light, to have conversation, to maintain that relationship. He's so loving. Of course, he's sad and angry and disappointed. And he curses the three of them. That's another sermon. 
despite this, he doesn't forsake them. He doesn't give up on them. In verse 15, if you look carefully, he promises a rescuer. And in verse 21, he provides tailor-made garments for the pair of them. An upgrade from their fig leaves. He doesn't leave them in their fig leaves, but provides animal skins to cover them, to clothe them. And I think that's actually a subtle foreshadowing of the rescuer that he's just promised. The way that he deals with Adam and Eve's shame in the garden points to his ultimate plan for salvation for all of us. In the same way that animals had to be killed, blood had to be shed to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, so ultimately a sacrifice was required. Blood had to be shed to cover humanity's shame, our shame. And this brings us to Jesus. Our second and final section then, when God draws close, will we seek John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Will we scurry away from the light to stay in the shadows? Or will we love Jesus, the light? John 1 verses 9 to 13, that wonderful, those wonderful opening verses says this the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God Jesus is the light, the true light that has come into the world. Will we love him and bring ourselves, our deeds into the light and become children of God? Or will we continue to love and hide away in the darkness? Let's take a couple of illustrations from John's gospel, a couple of characters. There's Nicodemus in chapter three. Perhaps you know this story or if you've got a Bible there, chapter three. Verses one and two, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He knows his stuff. And he comes to Jesus, the light. But there's a small detail. He comes at night. He seeks God, yes, but he's not yet fully confident of coming into the light, of being seen to seek Jesus. You might have noticed the Belgravia slogan as you walked around the parish. See and be seen, it says. Well, Nicodemus wants to see. He goes to Jesus, the light, but he's not yet ready to be seen with Jesus. But by the time we get to the end of John's gospel, uh, chapter 19, or not quite the end, admittedly, um, the crucifixion, um, Nicodemus comes and it says, Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night, he comes to take Jesus' body off the cross and to put him in the tomb. He's ready at that stage to be seen. And this is one epic scene that knocks even Belgravia into a cocked hat. Or there's the example of a more complex character, one who loves the darkness because his deeds are evil. Judas, who in chapter 13 at the Last Supper receives 
the bread and departs to inform Jesus' enemies where to arrest him. We're told, as soon as Judas had taken bread, he went out, and it was night. Will we stay in the darkness, or are we willing to come out and to be found and to enjoy God's light? So what does the life of seeking God look like for us in London today? Well, like Nicodemus, it means coming to Jesus, even if that's in the night to start with, tentatively putting our feelers out. It looks like doing life with Jesus, his way, enjoying the privilege of being his brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. It looks like when we mess up, which we do, we admit it. We admit it to God and ourselves and each other. We say it's okay to struggle and to fall, but we're honest about it and we bring ourselves into the light to our Heavenly Father because he cares for us. Our Heavenly Father hasn't just made these clothes of animal skin for us. He, as we've sung, he sent his son to save us. He's given us robes of righteousness to wear, to cover all of our shame. Jesus, his son, the true light was a sacrifice for us so that our shame could be covered by his robes of righteousness. So as we go into the week, we can know that the Lord is near, that daily he draws close to walk with us. And we have that choice each day in our work, in our relationships, to open up to him in confession and prayer and to walk with him. Or to block him out, to hide, to hold him at arm's length and hide behind our busyness, our schedule, our insecurity. We're invited to rest and to relax and to enjoy the Lord's closeness. To enjoy that end of the day debrief, even where we've got it wrong. To say, sorry, I ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil today, in whatever way that looks. Please forgive me. Help me to love your ways and to live according to them tomorrow. Thank you for Jesus, that he went to the cross, that he went to that tree of death and took our curse so that we could access again the tree of life. And we can use our free time to seek God and to enjoy him. As he draws close, we can expect to encounter him in our rest and in our leisure, with our families, with our friends, as we enjoy being out in his good creation. But especially as we gather together like this, Sunday by Sunday, to worship him, to hear his word read and preached, to enjoy fellowship before and after. God will move among us and empower us. He'll heal us and strengthen us to be his children, his ambassadors, his light in this world of darkness. God is drawing close this morning. Will you hide or seek? We had the pros and cons of hiding. The pros and cons of seeking, as we come to a close. Cons, it is a bit scary. There is that step of faith into the unknown. And yet we're assured of God's love. We've seen it in Jesus, his death for us on the cross. But the pros, the pros of seeking. Well, we can't actually hide anyway, as we've seen. But we might just find ourselves saved and known and loved. 
And to compare the two, life in the light and love of God is infinitely better than a life skulking in the shadows trying to avoid him. Do we want to hide away because our deeds are evil? Or are we willing to trust the mercy and forgiveness our Heavenly Father has offered us in Jesus? In him, our shame is covered by robes of righteousness. And his tree of death has become for us the tree of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together and for this opportunity as you draw close to come into your light, as you say, where are you? To say, here we are, here I am. And to step out from behind the tree and to be found in your presence, to confess and to say we've, we've messed up, but to receive the forgiveness that is found only in your son, We ask that we'd enjoy his robes of righteousness today and forever and life walking intimately with you always. In Jesus' name, amen.